welcome back to in and out the locker room presented by capital championship wrestling i'm Alyssa marino pro wrestling commentator and host of let's get serial she is the host of a wrestling out podcast and ccw commentator ella J. and of course we are joined today by a delightful guest they are one of ccw's finest stars in the ring and on the mic please welcome theta scott hi hello thank you so much for being here how are you today good good how are y'all Doing pretty well. Doing pretty well. Pretty well. It's a little cold up here where I am, <laughs> but other than that, we're doing well. And I'm just in Florida. So that's, that's <laughs> enough. So. Uh, well, you know, Veda, with about a decade of experience in pro wrestling, we are just so excited to really dig in and get to chatting with you. And, and I want to just launch right into the lately. Lately, you have been keeping yourself pretty busy. And throughout your wrestling weekends, you have been keeping the internet connected to your travels with Veda's blog. So not only have we seen you prepare for matches and embark on road trips and go behind the scenes of a day in the life of a wrestler slash commentator, we've seen, you know, the multiple cups of coffee, the energy drinks, and the snacks. So across the many locations that wrestling has taken you, is there a particular treat that stands out to you as being a top favorite? Um, well, so it's kind of a bummer that I've had to mostly uh, stay in the United States and Canada in the past two years, uh, because I would say that probably most of my favorite snacks are like international snacks. Um, I really miss uh, spending time in Japan. I particularly miss uh, like on road trips or bus trips, I guess I should say in Japan, like going to convenience stores or even just like late night going to the 7-Eleven. Um, I'm trying to think what's a favorite, like local snack. Recently, I got really into those popcorners. Um, they're like, yep. Chips, but they're popcorn. I know what you're it's talking about. It's like a about. rice cake chip. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I've been like munching on those while driving sometimes. Um, cause you get like a pretty big bag of them. Um, that's been a big road trip snack. I think recently I've gotten into popcorners. No, which really candy is- for on the go too. Is it the blue or the red bag? Or is so it the, a different one? So there's the red bag is kettle corn, I think, or mm-hmm. like sweet and salty or something. Yeah. And then there's one that's just like salt. And then I think there is like a there is a spicy queso variety, but I've only ever seen that in like. Like not personal size bags, so I haven't tried that one yet. Mm. But yeah, I've been in a pop pop chips lately or pop yeah, corners. I- Sorry, these are pop corners. <laughs> pop chips are like. They're like puffy. They're different. I mean, the popcorners, the triangle ones. I, I we sell them where I work. So that's why I know what they are. Yeah. Otherwise, I probably would have no idea. So I was just very, very curious. I, I mean, like those um, like those little like pea crisp things, too, that you often will find. They're like a yes. dehydrated. Pea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are good. Um, I don't know. I like when I'm a popcorn too, just like plain popcorn when I'm driving because I'm not like a huge snack person. But when I'm driving long distances, I like and it's like super late at night. I will like try to get something that I can like munch on for a while to stay awake. So like the popcorn, the the pea crisp things, that's pretty much that. And lollipops. I am a big like overnight lollipop. Uh, like I, a big like a like a Tootsie Pop that you buy at like a gas station. Yeah. Keeps you awake for like 30 minutes or so. Keeps you going. Mm. Nice little sugar oh. rush on the way. That's a tip. <laughs> The most important question, maybe what flavor is that Tootsie Pop? Um, so I like if it's a Tootsie Pop, I like the orange combined with the with the chocolate Tootsie flavor. Mm-hmm. I don't like the chocolate Tootsie Pops. Um, but then other times you'll find like the um, 
or the oh, the blow pops that have like the weird gum in the middle of it. Yeah, they've got a couple like something that you can just kind of like keep you occupied for like 30 minutes. That's a good one. But not eat an entire bag of candy. I can justify fair. a lollipop. It's fair. <laughs> and of course, you mentioned before, obviously, you've been to across the world from the US to Japan, the UK, Europe, Canada, and much, much more. So has there really been a particular location that you've visited where maybe you felt like a sense of belonging and maybe you could see yourself living there someday? Um, well, if we're talking about the United States, my favorite place I've ever been, uh, and actually wasn't for wrestling yet. Uh, it was like wrestling adjacent, uh, is New Mexico, uh, is my favorite place in the, in the entire United States. Uh, and I wish there was more wrestling there. There's not a lot of wrestling there. It's a little bit, um, outside of the U S um, I, right before, uh, the pandemic, I got to spend a week in Copenhagen and I really, really love the city. Um, and that was unexpected. Not that I didn't think I would like it, but I didn't know a lot about Denmark. Uh, that was really nice. Um, like I said, I love, I love the times I've gotten to spend like a couple weeks living in Tokyo on and off a couple, like, or sorry, a couple months living in Japan. That was great. Um, gosh, I don't know. I kind of just like wherever I end up, it just sort of like, you, you always find something. So I don't know if I even have a favorite, like I don't have like a superlative travel place I just sort of like anywhere is is neat I feel like I'm definitely the kind of traveler too that any place I go I imagine oh what must it be like to live here I wonder if I would live here I don't yeah. know <laughs> yeah yes so and and actually just a little caveat to that as we're talking international and you spoke of international snacks is there a particular if you were to go back to Japan tomorrow what is the first thing you need to get I uh I can't necessarily think of a particular one because they're in constant change. Uh, but any like little, um, like the little ice cream bars are good. Um, I'm a big fan of any, any assorted um, chips that as far as I can tell on the packaging don't have like uh, anything I can't eat with them. Um, so usually I have to get someone to translate, but like, yeah, honestly, anything out, like I can't even think of anything in particular, just anything like just from the convenience store, nice and simple or, if I had to pick like a food food, uh, and I was, I had, um, I had vegan ramen the other day, um, in Baltimore, just like while I was there and it just made me nostalgic for, uh, a particular vegan ramen, uh, that is sold in the, uh, in Tokyo station, the, the train station. Um, that would be what I would go for. If I could like teleport myself anywhere right now, it would be for that. It's a particular vegan ramen. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, well, and now speaking of the different travels that wrestling has taken you within the wrestling world, you are a, a multi-talent, both in the ring and as a broadcaster. How do you feel like you were able to build your confidence and find your voice as a commentator? Um, mostly, I just sort of like started asking to do it more often. Um, obviously, I got I got into wrestling as a, as a wrestler. Um, and then like when I... I would just sort of like, I was doing a lot of promos and things and I was doing some, some interviewing stuff uh, with ring of honor. And then I would kind of like, just ask if maybe at this show, if I could like call a match or if they were like looking for volunteers anywhere I was, I was worried, like, does any, anyone want to like sit in for a match? Like I would always try to do that um, and just try to like do it more and more. So it was just kind of gradual with that. And like, I realized right away that I love doing it. So I just started to like, sort of nudge um 
a little bit more that like maybe I could do a couple more matches or if like someone couldn't make a show, maybe like I could do it. I could wrestle my match and then I could go call the rest of the show. Um, but yeah, just like that, just sort of like gradually, it was organically over time. Of course, too. And you've naturally fit into this role. I mean, you've had amazing opportunities. Obviously, one of most recently was Impact Wrestling Knockouts Knockdown and, of course, Ring of Honor, like you said, and everywhere throughout the world, really. But what would you say was maybe the biggest challenge when you were when you were first adjusting to the commentary side of wrestling? Um. So when I, so I had done quite a bit of like live commentary here and there, there were, I had a couple opportunities with ring of honor um, on some of the road shows where like someone couldn't make it. And they let me call like do color for like the majority of the show. Um, but then when I, the, the first time I started doing like full shows as a announcer was with this, sh- with shimmers commentary, but we were doing that all in post-production um, at the time. Eventually we started to do a, a mix, but like, we had the footage. I would come to Chicago. We would watch the edited footage and we would call it. We would do it all in post. And then if like I was wrestling on a particular, like if my match came up, I would just lay out for that match. Um, but I, so I was doing full shows, but it was all in post, all in post. And I think like for me, the biggest challenge started to be when I started to do entire live shows and particularly entire live, like live broadcast, not even just like a live show that was going to be released later or a live show that was going to go like on DVD or streaming or whatever like that. But like live, live broadcast, live streams, live pay-per-view, like doing full live shows. When I started to do that, that was a big adjustment. Um, and, and I've gotten, I've gotten used to it now. And now like calling a three hour show is, is nothing, but for a while it it was like, it was, it was a lot. And, you know, trying to just figure out and like, depending on the show, like listening to production cues and every, that was like that adjustment going from doing long shows in post to doing long shows and full shows as a live production. That was an adjustment that was a while ago. Um, but I know that was like, for me, that was like the hardest thing was to adjust to that. And then like the first time I, uh, for for pro wrestling rise, which is a promotion that used to be out of the Chicago area, yeah. um, there was I was doing the commentary like from the beginning. The promoter had asked me to do the commentary, and I done it with a couple different people, and I was kind of the lead commentator for that, which was one of my first experiences doing lead. Um, and then there was one show in particular where either someone couldn't make it or something had happened that there was not another person to do commentary. Um, and rather than just have some people cycle in and out, I was asked if I could just do the show myself. And it was, uh, I was on fight. Maybe it was, I don't, it was a few years ago, whatever they broadcast on, it was live. And so I was like, okay, that's fine. And I did like a full live, um, play-by-play color mashup broadcast of a live show. And I was like, okay. And it got a good response. And like, it was, it was, it was fine. Like every, everyone survived. It was fine. I did it again a couple more times. And like that, I think. Once I got over that hump, I was like, okay, I can probably do anything now. I just, you just kind of like have to do it for the first time. Mm -hmm. I I definitely feel like that can be the case is it can feel very daunting possibly in the moment, but once you realize, Hey, I made it to the other end unscathed. Okay. I'm going to be all right. (laughs) Yeah. So, so when you were first starting out and, and, and getting yourself kind of on, on the broadcast team and broadcast side of things. Were there any particular uh, broadcasters or commentators that you studied or any material that you did to kind of prepare yourself outside of just your regular wrestling background? Um, yeah, like I, I, I like to just, you know, try to I tried to pay attention as much as I could to wrestling commentary um, and tried to whenever I was working with someone that had more experience 
doing like TV commentary, for example, um, just sort of ask them to to like just try to pay as much attention as I could to what they were doing too because I think that you learn the most like just by doing this like do it in terms of like announcing like yes there are like some tropes that we have to pay attention to and some rules and things like that but you learn the most by just doing it and by like just paying attention to what people who are good at announcing do um so honestly for me um the tie the the biggest crash course that I had in in pro wrestling announcing was uh for for AEW the we did the women's tag tournament that was all pre-taped and then uh to go on YouTube and then we I also ended up getting asked to do a few episodes of dark because there was a a space open for a couple weeks and um I had never done I had done ring of honors commentary quite a few times with tv but it was still it wasn't it was different. It was a different level of like production. And there wasn't like producers in your ears and like uh, gorilla in your ears and agent in your, like it's just, it was a different level. It was a great production and it was super professional, but it was also, this is ring of honor of, you know, six years ago. So it was, it was a different level of what they got to. Mm -hmm. Um, So I had never done like straight up television style announcing with like, uh, you know, bumpers and breaks and everything. And, and, I was with uh, for the for dark and well for for the tag thing I was with Tony Schiavone and for dark I was with Tony and Taz and Tony in particular Taz is absolutely incredible at everything he does but Tony is is the lead in terms of like just directing traffic and just being there and watching him do what he does and then having him just sort of like quietly be like explaining it to me too. Um, and like any time that I, anytime he did something or he cued something that I didn't know, I would just make a note of it. And then I could just ask him about it later. That was like, to me, that was like the greatest learning experience. It was just like watching someone who's the best at something, just do it. And not like not having them walk you through it. Cause there wasn't time to walk me through it. I found out that I was going to be doing, uh, the tournament with, with Tony in particular, like an hour before we taped. So like there wasn't time for us to like I'd never met him before. Like Tony and I hadn't met until we sat down at the desk to work. We didn't have time to like establish a rapport or establish anything. It was just like basically like, hey, this is what I'm going to do. This is what you're going to do. Just stay on your toes and watching him and listening to him and just observing him and Taz then when I started to do dark as well, just like how they just do it because Taz Taz is I think someone not to like get off track here but and I've said this before but like Taz is someone who because he has such an air of legitimacy to him as a as a as a fighter as a wrestler as a performer I think people forget how long he has been tenured as an announcer he's been a commentator for a very 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 long time on very very high profile roles and is excellent and he's able to maintain that that like rawness that like real like fighter feel like and I've said this before too but like kind of like when Samoa Joe was doing commentary too like you but Joe had been just in the ring very recently it's been a long time since Taz was wrestling just this feeling that like he could just like get out there and mess someone up at any second Mm -hmm. he feels so close to fighting and wrestling that you forget how long he's been a professional announcer and like seeing him sort of straddle that line between like, yes, he's an announcer, but also he's like, he's the color. He's the expert. 
that was like just mind-blowing to just see him go back and forth with that too so yeah I don't know I'm, I'm rambling now but I, I just believe that you can learn a lot from like people teaching you but you learn the most by just watching someone who's good at it do it pretty much and like I'm sure Alyssa can attest to you like I've been watching a lot of your stuff too and like I've watched Alyssa and because I'm still very new I've only done it once but it's watching people who are in the field and being alongside there to guide you. So I'm very curious. I mean, what was one note that you took from learning from Tony or Taz during that, that you had written down during it? Um, so they had a lot of, there's like little, and I'm sure Alyssa can attest to this too. There's like lots of like, just little tiny, like rules that you like do your best to mimic, but nobody ever like sits down and tells you. And then like, once somebody tells you, you're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Like things, even just something as simple as like, um, always if if this is your your job in the broadcast and this is the role that you're filling like always calling a pinfall yeah. like that seems obvious but you'd be surprised at how often maybe you don't or someone has to now obviously that wasn't my role in that particular dynamic that wasn't the part that I was playing but the idea that like the talking will stop so Tony can call a cover and then we'll get back to things like you know that you listen to it you absorb it but it's like until someone like sits down and explains like the way that we're going to lay out how this match is going to go. Also just like um, talking in, in sound bites and snippets and, and that sort of thing. Like just, I, I can't even like get, I, I'm trying to like think of specifics. It was just like all, it's a blur of just like, do this, don't do that, do this, do that. You're great, but do this. And like, it's so helpful, like on every level. And I've had that experience with lots of other people too, but that in particular was like, very like hectic and felt like <laughs> not that things were unplanned but like things changed a lot of a lot of factors and like pieces had to change at the last second and um yeah the same thing when I uh had the opportunity to work for impact recently I I and I, I don't know if you were gonna get into this at all but like I did the lead I was lead play-by-play -play for for the knockouts knockdown we did that as a it was a pre-taped um thing we filmed it over the course of a few days and, and Mickey, of course, was on color. And I had seen the graphic that they put up that showed like Beta Scott and said play by play. And they showed Mickey James, uh, color analyst, I think. And then I believe Melissa Santos was also on it as the announcer. And, uh, and I saw the graphic and I posted it. And it like didn't occur to me until the production meeting, the morning that we were taping that like the announced team was me and Mickey and that's it. Like I assumed and Alyssa I'm sure will back me up on this a lot of times when you're like brought in as a guest somewhere the someone who's like the regular announcer is also is is like kind of there and then you're 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 with them and uh so like for example like Tony Schiavone and it didn't I didn't it I wasn't aware of or it didn't occur to me that like we we were the announce team there was no like I know it was like a knockouts knockdown, but like there was no like D'Lo or Josh or somebody like also there. And uh, and I just had to like. I was like, yeah, oh, this will be fine. This is great. I'm because I've done lead a, a bunch of times for lots of different broadcasts, just not for impact and not, you know, with, you know, Josh Matthews, who is amazing, just like directing things in your ear. And like I was like, yeah, this will be it's great. It's going to be fine. We'll be fine. And then the whole time I'm just like, 
I hope it's fine. Hope this is fine. It was but, more um, than fine. It yeah. was yeah, spectacular. Like, yes. <laughs> you really just but, so yeah. much of this is just like learning on the ground at, at, and rest. All of wrestling is that. But like so much of it is just like learning on the ground and just like having the confidence that like it'll be OK, even if you're pretty sure it won't be. You just kind of go for it and, and fake it if you have to. Many a time can I tell you that we had to do the fake it till you make it kind of situation. So yes, I feel you on yeah, that. Cause if yeah, because if you <laughs> again, it's it's important to like know your own uh, in just in life in general. It's important to like know your own capabilities. I believe that it's important to know like what you can handle and what you can't, but also know that uh, like with the exception of people who like vastly overestimate their abilities. Uh, for the most part, I think most of the time we underestimate ourselves. So. If you're in a situation where someone asks you like, hey, can you lead this broadcast or hey, can you do this thing or hey, can you interview this person that's really, really famous and you've never met them before? Um, yeah, you can. Like, even if you're pretty sure you can't, unless you know it's going to be like a, a disaster that's going to ruin your life, just say, yeah, you'll figure it out. It'll be fine. It's, it's it's very so true. Fine. It's, it's fine. It's fine. fine. Uh, and, and I'm just curious too. You know, finding out that you were, or not even finding out, but seeing on the graphic and having it register that you were going to be leading that broadcast. Was there a certain level of of nerves that you felt about it, and kind of how did that compare to potential, you know, nerves that you would feel before wrestling a match? Um, I am not a person who gets nervous and I don't mean that in a like oh I'm I always like have it all together it's it's not that um it's just like not an emotion that registers with me uh when it comes to pro wrestling like I'm very uh I'm very much a planner so I'm usually like too wrapped up in like my planning or like my planning of a match or putting a match together and the like anxiety that I have is or the anxiety that like I express is less like nervous like I'm not nervous I'm just sort of like over I'm overwhelmed with my planning and I'm like in a place where I'm doing that uh, with announcing though. I'm like usually pretty chilled out about it. Cause it's just a, a very comfortable zone for me to go into and call a show. Um, and there's also no like um, physical safety involved. So I'm not like worried that I'm going to drop somebody and like break their neck. Um, so like that, there's an edge that, that comes off a little bit with announcing that's kind of stays there with wrestling that like, there's not like the danger involved. And I think Very that's true. the main difference. <laughs> of course. And I mean, you, you do it all from wrestling to commentating to ring announcing. And I mean, I guess we'll bring it back to food. You even said that you'd probably run a sweet concession stand if given the opportunity. I've run many a merch table. So I think I could true? do it. You can add that. So what are some snacks or food that you would feature at said concession stand? So I love when venues like get in on it or like allow you to provide your own concessions and do like themed foods. I always think that's really fun. Um, there's a promotion uh, that hasn't started running again. I'm, I'm not sure if they're going to after, well, not after, in the midst of, but I guess we're just going COVID uh, in, in Brighton in England, that is called Riptide. Uh, they have a lot of their content uh, on IWTV, but they, uh, uh, it's a very like, um, a lot of the people involved in the promotion are vegan or vegetarian, and they would partner with a vegan a vegan um, bar across the street, and they'd always have like vegan hot dogs and things like that that were 
theme to the show. And then um, there's a place that I oftentimes work for uh, the LVAC that they do their let's hang out shows. And they always have like local, they always have themed concessions that are like named after the wrestlers. I've worked for promotions that were at uh, running shows at like say a brewery or a particular bar and they would have drink specials that were themed to particular wrestlers who were on the show. And I don't know. I just always think that's so fun. I think that's like, if you can get that going, it like just sort of draws everything together. That's really super fun. Have there been any Veda Scott themed snacks or drinks that we know of? So I know that I remember there was a drink. Uh, one time I was at a, a, a place, a venue that was a bar and there was a Veda drink and I cannot remember what was in it. And it was like really, really sweet, which is like not the kind of cocktail that I like, but it was still neat. I still appreciated it. Um, I was at a, uh, we were for um, a promotion, I Ironheart Pro Wrestling uh, was a promotion. Uh, I was doing some announcing there up in Minnesota. No, Minnesota. Yes, Minnesota. Yes, Minnesota. They run in Minnesota and Wisconsin, and they run a lot of brewery shows. And one brewery had uh, had a beer that was uh, themed for Killa Kate, who was one of the wrestlers on the show. Oh. Like they had just like they liked her name, they liked her aesthetic. They made they made a beer for her. And it just it's just super cool. Like, it's just a way to sort of tie everything together. And I, I think it's neat when the venue like wants to invest in things, too. Heck yeah. And what a show of appreciation. I mean, that's, yeah. that's an honor. Uh, so, so we talked earlier about Veda's vlog, but also on your channel, there's a video that was titled My Name is Veda Scott and I am a pro wrestler. In that video, you shared a lot of your thoughts and you really poured your heart out about your passion for wrestling. Uh, toward the end, you said that you love professional wrestling and you didn't realize how much you need it to love you back. What are some of the factors that you feel like keep you pushing even when you aren't feeling that love back? Well, so I filmed that video in January of 2020. And oh my then, God. like ever like, and then I was like, well, I don't even know if I'm still a pro wrestler anymore. Um, so like I filmed that video, it was getting some good traction coming out of it. And like, I was spinning it into some things that like, I was really excited about. And then it was like, Oh, never mind. Uh, not only is there no pro wrestling, there's like much bigger problems than like, I don't have any bookings anymore. Um, but, but that was a moment where I was like, I don't know if I, if like, do I like even when it looked like there was still going to be like things happening again like do I even come back from this because it's like it's just sort of like I had a little bit of steam going and then you know and I, I know a lot of people can relate to this too um and what ended up happening was I got contacted to do uh some announcing work well initially some wrestling work and some announcing work with with AEW and that was in like July and August of 2020. So it was, and it was completely, uh, completely unexpected. And also there was like nothing else happening because like you couldn't. And I had to go back and forth with myself for a while. If I would even like say yes to this, like, is it going to be, is, is it irresponsible of me to do this, etc. But like that, that let me actually like call wrestling again and do wrestling. And it had people like, communicating with me about wrestling again and it kind of like gave me 
it put me back on a path to think like, okay, maybe like this could still be a thing. Cause I was pretty sure it wasn't going to be a thing anymore for me. And I would just like quietly transition into like whatever else I do next. Um, so I think that's what it is. It's kind of like, what keeps me going is that like, even when I'm really frustrated and even when I feel like I am like, this is not gonna, like, this is just not going to work out. And I don't even know what working out even means at this point, but like, this is, is not like sustainable and like, I need to figure something else out. And I've had that moment for 10 years of like, this is not like, stop, stop doing this. This is not sustainable. Like you are just, just careening into nowhere. And then something, an opportunity will come up that makes me feel like, okay, maybe I can do this. And on the one hand, that's heartbreaking because it's like, well, then you have the high and then you have the low, but then like another opportunity will come up or like so, finally, like after a million people tell me no, like one person will say yes. And I can ride that yes for a little while. And so that's all it is, is like, I, I don't have like a poetic answer of like this kind of passion or whatever. It's literally like I get told no over and over and over. And I've been told no so many times or not right now or maybe later or uh, you're not what we're looking for so many times, but then eventually someone says yes. And even if it's just yes for right now, or like not the yes exactly that you wanted, you just kind of like ride that yes for a little while. And there's going to be another one. Maybe, you know, you just hope. It's holding on to that hope that keeps you going. I mean, it, especially in the state of the world right now where it's hard. But I mean, let's talk about when you are feeling that love and feeling that positivity. I mean, you and your partner, Speedball Bailey, have finally been able to Twitch stream, travel, and create some fun content together after being separated geographically during the pandemic. So how has it felt to have your person as a physical presence in your life now and on a more regular basis again? So we've, we've been together for a long time, years, uh, like five years, but we've never, it's always, it's always been long distance and it's been long distance since we got together. Like when we decided to start a relationship, we'd been friends for many years, but we decided to like start an actual relationship. Um, we already knew that he wasn't able to come to the United States. So like we, we went into it, like knowing that it was, mm -hmm. it was going to be hard logistically, like the relationship is not hard, but the logistics are hard. Um, and so we had to go a bunch of years, just like negotiating ways to spend time together. And that meant, and go to England for a few months and like live in somebody's spare room for a while so there was 10 months where we just like we couldn't see each other at all we couldn't go anywhere and um it sucked but we were lucky that we had like like we had the reps in already like we already this wasn't new for us at all and uh and yeah it was we it was it was it was hard and also like it was stressful because like the world was stressful but um eventually some of the restrictions changed a little bit. So like with a lot of paperwork and things, I was able to come to Canada for some trips. And then finally, recently he's, um, he signed with impact. So he has a visa and can come to the United States. And, uh, so right now, yeah, we're, we're like kind of like living together permanently question mark, uh, for the first time ever. And I say question mark because we don't, know exactly like like where we're gonna end up permanently but we're sort of like we're just we're here like he's in the states he's working a lot 
uh, and I'm here and we're in the same place without like, uh, like a end on it yet. And that's, we've never had that. We've literally never had that our whole relationship where we like didn't knew that like, well, even if it was like a month or two, and then I, I have to go back to America after that, or like we have this couple of months together, but then he needs to go to Germany or whatever. Like there's no, there's no like set end point. And we've never had that, which is very overwhelming. <laughs> overwhelming, but it, that's, that's amazing. That's incredible. So like, it's so happy for you guys and congratulations on that. That's amazing. Well, a lot of people have been like, is it, is it weird for you guys to like live together now after so long? It's like, I mean, if there was going to be an issue, it would have come up when we were like sharing a bunk bed together for a few months or like the first thing that we did uh, as a couple was decide to like go to England for three months and like didn't know anyone and didn't know anything or where we were going. And we like, like I said, like lived in a, in a spare room with a stranger for like we've it, we've been through it. So so this is fine. Like this is easy this compared is to everything else. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, also too, I'm sure it has to be great to kind of feel that, that support from someone that you love. And, and I wanted to touch too on something that you had posted on social media. You had shared a, a tweet uh, where you were identifying yourself as a queer non-binary person. Mm-hmm. And you said that you figured out you a long time ago and you carved out a confident little space. And that is such a beautiful sentiment, the confident little space. What does that confident little space feel like to you? And how do you feel like you went about finding it in your personal journey? Yeah, um, I mean, I, I've always like when I posted that it was just sort of part of a larger conversation that a lot of people were having about like identity and like comfort in in finding like shared identities with other people so like I was like oh I I probably should just say this definitively like for for people in pro wrestling who don't know me personally like maybe like this like representation is important and I'm not like some like pinnacle of representation but it was during a larger conversation where everyone was just like seeing people like me is important and I want to see more people like me. Therefore I was like, okay, I'm going to just like make sure this is like very explicitly clear. And a lot of people were like, Oh, congratulations for coming out. And I, and I never was in, and I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say that in any way to like minimize my experience. And I've tried to get away from that. Cause I felt like when I say like, I didn't come out ever in my life, I just, existed um and and I've said that and then someone pointed out to me that I was kind of like minimizing my own experiences and we don't want to do that either um I just my like quote-unquote journey was just like knowing more like as 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 I've grown and like as time has gone on we've come up with like different language like when I was in college like we the the concept of being non-binary like definitely was a thing and but we the the language was still evolving and like when I call myself queer which some people um it has has it, it ebbs and flows as if it's like a pejorative term or not and there's some people uh in the community who who feel it's like not it's not something they want to identify with they find it as like a very negative term when when I was 13 we were queer 
because and I'm not saying like, oh, this was back in my days. Like this is the identity that we that we felt comfortable with because we were also exploring our gender identity. And we just knew that it wasn't there was nothing binary about anything that that we were or any person that we were attracted to. Like there was no black and white. And so that is a label that has always worked very well for me. Um, and it's where I feel comfortable. Um, and that that's just how that's that's where like in terms of like sexuality and gender identity, like queer and non-binary, they work for me. I guess the closest thing that you would say in terms of my gender identity would be I don't have one um, because it just nothing, nothing clicks for me so much. Um, and that's just been always. Um, but I think the more like conversations we're about we're able to have about this, like that's important. And I think just like sometimes as much as I'm not a like. It, it's it's the cliche of like well I don't really put a label on it but like there's like labels are very like confining and limiting but I also understand especially as I've gotten older how they can be empowering as well um in terms of like identifying yourself and identifying yourself within a community and just sort of anchoring yourself in some way um but there's a lot of like there's also a lot of privilege behind me um you know identifying as a queer non-binary person but never like in terms of pro wrestling like explicitly saying that um because i i do read as i like i i present very femme and like there's a read that people have on me and i can potentially just ride that um and there's a lot of privilege behind that so there's there's awareness of that too um but yeah this was just sort of like me talking to like not even pro wrestling, but like pro wrestling on Twitter, which is a, another entirely different universe. Um, and I was surprised that it got a response the way that it did, because to me, it was not anything. It was like not new information. But then I realized that like what we what what we show on like Twitter or social media is not like your whole personality. Mm -hmm. So it is new information for some people. A thousand percent. <laughs> I think and part of that bigger conversation, I think, was, you know, wrestling is for everyone and being able for someone to see you and, and find that, that sense of belonging and that I'd probably inspired so many other people. So that's super important. And, and kind of on that, what would be your advice to people that are still trying to find themselves? Um, just like you have to, so for me, um, I like I said, it's, it's been a lot of time just through like community and through like friends growing up. And again, I'm a little bit older than a, a lot of people, not a lot of people like on earth, but you know, like I'm a little <laughs> bit older than, than some people who are like having these conversations. If, if we're talking about like wrestling Twitter, uh, you know, I'm from like a, a slightly older generation where it was like, you know, hanging out with your friends and like trying to figure that, this out. And now there's, there's Twitter, there's, you know, there's so many different online communities and the idea that like, that you could just like make all of these friends who maybe you don't like know them in real life, like you could be on a discord and you can be, you know, meeting all of these people and like learning more about yourself and people who are like you or unlike you or whatever you want. And like, they don't have to be like physically near you. I just think I, again, I sound like such a, such a grandpa when I say this, but like, I just think that's amazing. That like 
like you always hear like well internet friends are not real friends like no they're like the most real friends because you can cultivate a community that's exactly like full of the influences and the positive people that you want in it and uh and i just think like if i had that when i was a kid then i, I don't even know where i would be i just i think that there's there's so much to be said now about just like figuring yourself out through the eyes of other people, but like, obviously it's an internal thing too. But like, if you have questions about things that you're feeling, someone else has had that same question. Like if you're worried about something or you're wondering about something about yourself or your identity, like it's not the first time someone's thought that or felt that. And you can just find someone else who's asked the same thing. Like it's there and it's accessible. And that's, that's wild to me that like, you don't have to be alone. Even if you don't ever communicate with other people, like you can find people who have talked about this. You can find someone who's, who's like, you know, made the YouTube video where they talked about exploring their identity and you can find, you can find streamers. You can find, like I said, someone on a discord, like you can find people who are asking the questions you're asking and you're not alone in that. And that's, that's just wild. It really, really is. I mean, like even we're having this conversation today because of like wrestling Twitter and, and wrestling yeah. media and all that. And some legit, some of my best friends, like still to this day are from wrestling Twitter or yeah. online communities. It's wild. Like even going on like eight years, it's crazy how, <laughs> and of course, I mean, like growing up too, wrestling was also obviously part of your life as well. Mm -hmm. And it even tied into your younger life in, um, the middle school band. Yeah. So can you please tell <laughs> us about when you jammed your little brother's Bret Hart figure into the bell of your baritone instrument? Yeah. So if anyone's not familiar, a baritone horn is, um, it, it's a smaller, it's a low brass <laughs> instrument. Um, and it's smaller, it's smaller than like a sousaphone or a tuba, but it's that sort of thing. Um, so I had learned to play like a tuba and a baritone and all that. And, uh, this was a, the baritone has like a curved bell on it. And the toy was a Bret Hart doll, but with, I don't know if this is a reference that people are going to get, but like stretch Armstrong, it's like a rubber toy. It's full of like almost like a stress ball like beads mm -hmm. yeah. and you can like stretch it and then it like stays and then it mm -hmm. like slowly goes back that was a toy and they made one that was like Bret Hart with the singlet and the Bret Hart a plastic head and the body you could stretch the point being that once you once it adopted a shape it stayed in that shape for a while so I genuinely can't remember if it was me who did this or most likely it was my brother was mad at me and he did it but he shoved the Bret Hart down the bell of my baritone uh body first so the head was sticking out and the body had mushed into a position that it like could not be extracted and I didn't know what to do because I couldn't tell anybody. So I had like a solid while where I was like pressing the keys, but like the sound was not, it was like very muffled and we did eventually get it out, but I had a panic of like, I don't know what, I don't know what's going to happen next. I'm going to get kicked out of the band. Uh, fortunately, it was one of my, it was my, first year in the middle school band so I wasn't like first chair yet so I didn't have like a lot of responsibility and uh and I believe it I wish I could tell you for sure but I'm 
almost positive that this was my uh, marching horn. Uh, Cause I remember, I remember playing it indoors, but I also remember marching with it. Yeah. So it was my marching horn, which means that like the sound quality wasn't as important. Oh, okay. Fair. Yeah. Fair. Cause you were, cause you could blend in a lot more when you're marching. Um, so yeah, it, uh, Bret Hart rode around on my horn for a while and it was, you- it, we got it out eventually. Uh, I don't I remember mean, how. Thank goodness. But I'll tell you, I mean, brass gets no respect. The poor brass yep. section. Come on. I'm and it's very heavy. And I am I'm five feet tall now, but I was quite a bit shorter when I was in middle school. So I was like, it was an instrument the size of me. Uh, but yeah, my brother and I are fairly close in age, and he was my like wrestling buddy growing up. Uh, but he like didn't get like train or anything. He still like watches it and keeps up with I do what I do, but he got like a real job and a wife and a life and everything so he didn't stick with wrestling but uh but yeah so we had like lots of wrestling toys and stuff they would end up places oh my god well and and speaking of experiences that you had as a kid you you know you've shared on online before that you're an avid reader and you recently posted online about having a library card as soon as you could write your name. Yes. So from, from childhood tales to maybe more recent reads, who are some fictional characters that you would want to be pals with? Oh, gosh. Um, ooh, that's a good question. Oh, I've been put on the spot. Um, I'm trying to think what like some of my favorite like fictional characters are. Um. So recently I have been reading um, a, a, like just I, I've been reading a lot of like books that'll end up being on a theme, but I don't choose it like that deliberately. And uh, so I find myself like reading a lot of things that are more like general. I'm a big fan recently of like generational novels. And I find myself like oftentimes drawn to um female or like femme identifying characters who and this doesn't this is not me in real life but like live these like long and like lonely lives throughout like that but that's that's what I like I've always like sort of identified with this is like oftentimes writers um I when I when I first read the bell jar when I was like 11 that was I was like this is it uh for, forget about this and everything in terms of uh sylvia plath like this is it this is me this is like this is who i want to be and then like you know of course as i like learned a little bit more about the writer i was like maybe not all of it but i see a lot of myself here and uh, and that sort of always like resonated with me so i don't know um like i seem to find myself a lot of times in like very very lonely characters or characters who are alone um, I actually just read, um, I'm trying to remember the, oh gosh, I can't remember the writer's name. So I finally read all of Kitteridge for the first time and I'd never read, I'd, I'd had it in my queue forever. And, um, why can I not remember this writer's name? I'm looking right now. Elizabeth, St- uh, Elizabeth Strout. Um, and it's, a series of short it's it's not new but it's a series of interconnected short stories that go over the course of this woman's majority of her life and now there's been a sequel to it that's like the later part of her life and and through it all she's like just a very like pragmatic but like 
ultimately like lonely person like an unpleasant person and and I've realized over time that I like really connect with like unpleasant and oftentimes solitary protagonists and uh and yeah so I what I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't know if there's anyone that I would want to be friends with because apparently I don't want any friends and apparently neither do your favorite fictional characters no I mean, you, you, you thrive in everything you do. So maybe me, I mean, maybe you don't need friends. Maybe you do. I don't know. I don't know. I have you, lots of friends. You do. But, uh, I, for whatever reason, like that just seems to be like where I settle in when I like really connect, uh, with a protagonist, they tend to be like fairly solitary, oftentimes a writer, uh, oftentimes like a multi-generational sort of story. Of course. And I mean, similar with books, with television shows, after you graduated law school, you worked on the Forensic Files show. Other way so, around. I worked on Forensic Files before I went to law school. Before? That's why okay, I went to that law makes, school. Okay, yes. okay. So that kind of makes sense then, the trajectory, the path towards law school then. Yeah. So what exactly was your role on Forensic Files and how did that opportunity present itself to you? I originally was a PA, um, a, a production assistant. And originally I worked uh, on reenactments. We have a very, it was a very small crew of us who would build and cast and then film the reenactments. So like, uh, if you're not familiar with forensic files, you probably are, you just don't realize it. It's just yeah. sort of like on in a doctor's office kind of show. Um, but, but it's a true crime documentary series. Um, and there's a lot of versions of it too, that are very similar where like they recount some sort of story that's allegedly solved by forensic science, which is not science for the most part. Um, but but that's neither here nor there. The validity of forensics as an actual investigative tool and forensic science as a science is a whole other thing. Anyway, forensic files is like they present a story, like usually a murder that's happened. And they just they interview like the prosecutor, lead detectives, family members, things like that. They present a linear story where there's always like a red herring of who, who could have done it and then who actually did it. And throughout this and especially at the end they present a reenactment with actors who are cast to look like the people who are actually murdered so i did the reenactments for a while and mostly that meant like building sets that look like crime scene photos and going through a lot of crime scene photos and then uh, i wanted to move up a little bit within the organization um so i started i there was an opening for uh an assistant producer job so i submitted some pitches for that uh, and ended up moving into like the office and becoming uh, an in-house producer. So with that was like um, pitching, finding, finding potential stories that we could do, pitching the episodes, like your normal like TV pitches, like how all TV production goes, just like, you know, pitching stuff. Eventually if stuff would get like greenlit, then I would be in charge of like, you know, getting together the interviews, putting interviews together all the research, all of that. And like, just sort of coming up with everything to like get a linear story going. And then we also had a field crew that would go out and actually film the stuff. So yeah, so I was, I was a producer um, for a while there. And then uh, I ended up going to law school. What a unique journey though, you know? So we, I think you've talked in the past about how your path could have taken you a lot of different ways. And the mm -hmm. same year that you were a notable alumni of your law school, you were also PWI's rookie of the year. So how did it feel to be recognized and honored in two completely different career fields? Um, so when I started law school, I 
didn't I wasn't in pro wrestling training yet I didn't start training until I was like within law school's three years so I was um between my first and second year and my goal when I started training was to like get through the training program and like have a match and I'd be like satisfied that I had like done this thing and like the thing was done and then I would move on and um because I was training with ring of honor um at the time, like the students would travel and do ring crew and things. It, it, it evolved like it, when it became a bigger production, like that wasn't the way things kind of worked anymore. But like when it was a small show, so like I would be traveling every weekend while I was training, doing ring crew and everything. And um, once I started wrestling, I was kind of trying to fit that in too, but I was still in law school and I was like, you have to, like, you're going to finish law school. Like you can't just leave. Um, so I had to graduate. Like that was the number one priority, even more than wrestling for me. And uh, when it actually came time for my law school graduation, I didn't go. Uh, I was at a wrestling school, a wrestling show instead. Um, so that was a weird thing was like, I did this thing that I really like was very important to me that became like seemingly less important over time. And then this other thing became more important that I thought was just kind of going to be like a fun thing that I did as like a challenge to myself. Cause I was, you know, getting older and I had always wanted to like get into pro wrestling, which is how I got into TV production in the first place. I thought like maybe if I got some production experience and some producing experience, I could translate that into like working like for WWE on the production end of things. Like maybe that's where I could go. And, um, and wrestling, like the physical part of wrestling was just supposed to be like for fun. And then they sort of flip-flopped um, towards the end of school. And uh, yeah, I missed my graduation <laughs> for a wrestling show. You've had, uh, honestly, you've done more things, I think in your, your years. And I think a lot of people do in their whole lives, honestly. <laughs> and, and that's really cool though. Cause you get different experiences and like nuggets of information from like all different fields, which I yeah. think is very, very cool. And of course we are so happy now that you are part of the capital championship wrestling family. Their first show of the year is coming up shortly after the time of recording this. So really what are you hoping to accomplish within CCW once you do return? I want to be there. I really enjoy being at the shows. Fortunately, um, as everyone knows, like there's lots of opportunities to do things like this podcast or recording commentary and different interviews and things like that. So there's ways for me to stay involved even when I can't like physically be in the ring. Um, so I'm hoping my number one goal is to like actually be at a show in real life again sometime soon. And like that's the number one thing is like I want to be there. Um, like the, the next show that you're talking about, which is a super exciting show. Unfortunately, um, I already have another, I have another wrestling commitment that day, so I can't do that one. And yeah, it's like, I'm just not able to be at the shows and that's my number one goal. It's like literally be there. We can't wait to have you back for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, though, and Veda, thank you so much for taking the time to share your story and your journey here today. Of course, we'll be linking all of your socials down below so people can stay up to date. But for our audio listeners, can you please share where they can find you online and, of course, Twitch as well? Yeah. Um, so the majority of everything I post comes through Twitter first. So my uh, Twitter is at it's beta time. 
um pretty much everything gets posted there and then like maybe duplicates arrive on on instagram um as you said i also stream on twitch it's twitch.tv slash veda scott um i haven't been streaming as much recently uh because like i haven't been able to keep a consistent schedule hopefully that will be changing soon but please uh please follow me there and uh or subscribe no you know what don't even subscribe subscribe if you can i appreciate it but you know you can follow me that's for free uh and so you know when i do go live um and then also uh i have a youtube channel uh also all the links are in my bio for my uh, twitter profile and you can check out stuff i post there and i would appreciate if you subscribe there too so you heard it my friends subscribe on youtube follow on Twitch, maybe subscribe. There are so many different ways to stay up to date on all of the happenings with Veda Scott. And Veda, thank you again so much. This was so much fun. Uh, my friends at home, be sure that you are also following Ella J at It's Ella J on Twitter and checking out a Wrestling Gal podcast with new episodes every week. Then you can find me at AYY underscore Marino on all the socials and on new episodes of Let's Get Serial on Saturday afternoons. So for Veda Scott and Ella J, I'm Alyssa Marino, and we will see you next time on the next edition of CCW's In and Out the Locker Room. Thank you.